Luke chapter 1. Verse 26. Now in the sixth month of in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David the virgin's name was Mary and having come in the angel said to her rejoice highly favored one the lord is with you blessed are you among women But when she saw him, she was troubled at this saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God." Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is God's word. It's important when we come to Luke's gospel on any occasion, um, his purpose for writing. He's writing to a man named Theophilus. And I heard someone say that if you need help remembering his name, he has Theophilus' name in the Bible. There you go. Two of you got it. Good. It took me a second to. Um, He's writing to a man named Theophilus, and his claim is that he records an accurate account of the gospel. So everything that Luke writes, he claims that it's an accurate account. Look at verse 1. He said, "...inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you, an orderly account. So when Luke writes this history, he is in fact writing history. And the chapter begins with this angel Gabriel making a visit before he comes to Mary to a man named Zacharias in the temple. Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth, as you well know, had no children. Now they were old and well past childbearing years. But Gabriel appeared to Zacharias and announced that Elizabeth would conceive and give birth to a son named John. We know him as John the Baptist. Now Zacharias, when he heard this message from Gabriel, he couldn't believe what he was hearing. So Gabriel said in verse 19, the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, 
you will be mute and not able to speak until the days these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their own time. You can't believe what I'm saying, Zacharias? You want a sign? How about this? You don't speak for nine months. That's a sign. So Zacharias left the temple that day, having heard Gabriel's message, literally speechless. And just as Gabriel had announced, Elizabeth conceived. Fast forward six months. Gabriel shows up again. And if you thought that his first announcement was incredible, if you find it hard to believe that an old woman can conceive and bear a son... If his appearance to Zacharias was unbelievable, just you wait until Mary hears what he has to say to her. And in the passage that we've read this morning, I think there are some things to be learned about God's attitude towards people like Mary. To be sure, we can't miss the glorious predictions about her baby who would be the Christ, Israel's promised Messiah. And I think there's an example for us in Mary's response to Gabriel's message to her from God. So we'll just walk through this passage together. I've given three simple headings here. Number one, God's attitude toward Mary. God's attitude towards Mary. Now, from the human perspective, Mary really isn't all that impressive. Verse 26, And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Not exactly an extraordinary candidate for the mother of the Messiah. She's from Nazareth, for one. So, basically... She's from nowhere. She might as well be from Westfield or Low Gap. (laughs) She's from Nazareth. It's a place that most people on the earth would have no idea existed. You remember in John chapter 1 when Jesus found Philip, when he was calling his disciples, he said, follow me. So what did Philip do? He left immediately and found Nathanael. And he said to Nathanael, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Who? Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And what did Nathanael say to Philip? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That was just the mindset that people had towards Nazareth. It's a little hole-in-the-wall place. Nothing good could have ever come from there. There might be a reason that Luke told us twice that she was a virgin. Not only is she from Nazareth, so she's from nowhere. She's betrothed, betrothed to Joseph. She's engaged to a nobody. He's a carpenter. Not the kind of people who get noticed in the world. People see their work, they take it for granted, they move on. Nobody would have ever known who Joseph was. Now he does note that he's of the house of David. That really doesn't mean much from a human perspective. Have you ever known those people? I'm sure everybody knows somebody, right? The guy who says, yeah, you know, I'm 
got this kind of blood and I'm from this kind of lineage because way up in my family tree, I come from George Washington. Like it's something great. You know, or Abraham Lincoln is in my family tree. And, or the, some other person that everybody knows. And they act like it's supposed to mean something to how you treat them. Or their own standing in society today. So what? Who cares? Yeah, Joseph is from the house of David, but so are a lot of other people. It means nothing. She's from nowhere. She's engaged to a nobody. It says she's a virgin. Some scholars put her at 14 to 16 years old. She's young. Women didn't have a good standing in that society anyway. But not only is she a woman, she's young. Why would anyone take her seriously? Is she really qualified to take on this kind of responsibility? Would you trust a 14 to 16 year old girl from Nazareth engaged to a carpenter to raise the Son of God? So from the human perspective, she is totally underqualified. Mary was destined to live a low-income, mundane, minimal significance kind of life. By all accounts, she would marry Joseph, have some babies, maybe live to a nice old age, and die and be forgotten. She's a nobody. That's the human perspective. Think of all the people that Gabriel passed over on his way to Mary's house. He could have stopped at some people, stopped with some people who had a lot more money. Uh, maybe who could have given Jesus a better name getting started, not just the son of a carpenter. He could have done it another way. But that's not how God sees things. And let me say this, knowing what we know about Mary, this should encourage us, right? Because I don't know about you, but I'm a nobody from nowhere. God tends to use, and I would even say He prefers to use, people who have no significance to the rest of the world. So anytime that you have that perspective on yourself, that your life is insignificant, that you really don't have any great roots, you don't have any bright future ahead, yeah, you're going through the routine, the mundane, the, 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 just the flow of life, don't be discouraged because it's in those things and in the lives of people like us that God does His best work. So what about God's perspective? We know what man sees when we look at Mary, but what about God's perspective? Why did He choose Mary? Here's what He says in verse 28. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw Him, she was troubled at His saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Who greets somebody like that? Mary was the, the thoughtful type. We see that a, a couple of times in the Gospels. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. 
Why did God choose Mary? Simply because He chose to set His favor upon her. That's all. Nothing else. God chose to give her His favor. Do you ever have a hard time believing that God could like you? If you don't, you're full of pride. Do you ever have a hard time believing that He could actually look at you with pleasure as His creation? We are nobodies, okay? We feel that. We're screw-ups. Sinners. Charles's favorite word of the month. Wretches. And we drag our feet back to God, ashamed, guilty, and defeated. Because we know exactly what we are. Let me encourage you. We do have shame. We do have guilt. We are wretches. And it's good for us to remember that. But God doesn't forgive you, discipline you, work on you out of some kind of obligation. Or just because He said He would. Some of you might need to hear this morning that God delights in being kind to you. He enjoys you as His own child. He likes you. Yes, we're guilty. Yes, we have shame. Yes, we mess up. Yes, we drag our feet back to Him. But as we do, He's the Father who runs to us with open arms. The story of the prodigal son, Luke 15. The son knew he was in a mess. He knew he was literally living with the pigs. He was hungry. He knew he had messed up. And he comes walking back to his father, rehearsing this speech, how he's going to impress him and maybe uh, get him to feel sorry for him when he comes back. But before he ever even opens his mouth, his father sees him a great way off and he runs to him and he embraces him. And the guy starts to give his speech and the father, yeah, 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 whatever, get, get some clothes, get a, go kill a calf, get a ring, get some shoes. My son is back. The father delights in his children. He has given us his favor, his grace. And we receive that favor through the son that Mary was going to give birth to. Now let me just say this, because it is a, a, a relatively common view in the world. Because of the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church, Mary has been portrayed as this dispenser of grace. They take this, this verse, you know, she's the highly favored one, that the Lord is with her, that she's blessed among women, that she's found favor with God, and make her out to be the one who bestows grace. You know, Jesus is scary to go to. Jesus is, is too harsh. So let's go to His mother and she can talk to Him for us. But Mary isn't the dispenser of grace. She is a recipient of grace. Just like we are. 
She has no value simply in being a virgin, simply being a human being, but whatever value she has, just like whatever value we have, comes from the favor that God has bestowed on us. She's not a dispenser of grace. She is a recipient of grace. The same grace that's available to us. Now this grace that we receive is because of the one who is announced to Mary, and that's the second heading, Gabriel's announcement about Jesus. Verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. What a way to find out you're having a baby. You women who have been pregnant, think about it. You suspected that there's a chance that you might be. So you go to the store, you buy the stick, you wait for the little line to pop up, and when it does, you about faint. If you can't handle that, how would you do with an angel showing up? You're not even married. Never even been with a man. And an angel shows up and says, you're going to have a baby. And you don't even have to think about what you're going to name him. It's incredible how well she takes this. He said in, in the next part, you know, or said just before that, fear not, do not be afraid. He should have led with that. Don't be afraid. His name will be Jesus. What does that name mean? The Lord saves. The Lord gives salvation. What a name. What an appropriate name. Now for Mary, being a good Jew like she was, and Jesus' disciples who would come along later in His life, they looked for that salvation in the establishment of the kingdom. He's going to deliver Israel. And they were right to look for that. That's what God had promised. But that salvation goes so much further than just the deliverance of the nation of Israel. This son would be a savior, not just as a political leader, but as the one who conquers sin and death. The one who would grow up and live sinlessly and give his life for sinners as he's nailed to the cross and beaten and mocked to bear the weight of our guilt, the weight of our shame, the weight of our sin, and to pay our penalty. That we could be forgiven, that we could be saved by our Savior. That salvation goes as far as the very souls of men and women. That's not all he says about Jesus. In verse 32, he says, He will be great. Well, that's nice. It's the same thing that Gabriel told Zacharias about John the Baptist. He will be great. There have been a lot of great people in human history. Some people look at Jesus and they'll admit that, that yes, He was a great man. But Jesus isn't just a great man. What sets Him apart from all other great men? He goes on, He says, He will be great and He will be called the Son of the Highest. The Son of the Highest. The Son bears the qualities and a resemblance to the Father, right? Jesus will bear the qualities and have, have His resemblance with the Father in heaven. 
He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Highest. He goes on even further. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Now the son of David has significance. God had made a promise, made a covenant with David. That his throne would stand. That he would have a descendant who would sit on his throne. That promise has not yet been fulfilled, but it will be. Yes, Jesus rules over all creation from heaven, but one day He will sit on David's throne on the earth and reign as king. The book of Revelation tells us about that thousand year kingdom, that millennial kingdom. But His reign doesn't just last for a thousand years. He goes even further. And He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of His kingdom, there will be no end. I happen to think we have a pretty good form of government here in the United States. I think that insofar as it operates, as it is outlined in the Constitution and our founding documents, that it's a pretty good system of government. Checks and balances keeps evil men from having too much power or one group of people from having too much control without the consent of the people. But no matter how good this form of government is, it will always be contaminated by evil men. It will always be contaminated by people who desire power. Every form of government is that way. But can you imagine the day when we live in a kingdom where all power is not, not split up between branches of government, but all power is invested in one person, and that person is fully and completely trustworthy and righteous. Amen. I love the United States, but I am so looking forward to living under a monarchy again. With Jesus as King. He is great. He will be called the Son of the Highest. He will sit on the throne of His father David. He will reign not just for a thousand years, but forever. Mary said to the angel, How can this be? I'm a virgin. <laughs> She's taking this so well. She really is. From the human perspective, what Gabriel is saying is absolutely ridiculous. It's impossible. But we should know by now that the human perspective isn't all that's at play, right? God is at work. Verse 35, And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. No human man necessary. Because the Holy Spirit is at work. Mary asked a reasonable question, how can this be? Because it doesn't look like it could be. But Jesus was conceived not by a man, but of the Holy Spirit. 
You remember Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2 says, The earth was without form and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep. And then what happened? The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In all that darkness, in all that emptiness, all that void, the Holy Spirit overshadows it. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Where there was nothing, by the work of the Spirit and the very voice of God, now there is something. A whole lot of something. That same Spirit that overshadowed the dark void of the universe and created all that exists would overshadow the womb of a virgin. In a little town called Nazareth. And cause her to conceive life. Not... A life that had not yet existed. Right? I'm sure the time will come because doesn't every kid at some point ask, like, where was I before I was born? <laughs> you weren't. You didn't exist. You were nothing. And God made you something in your mother's womb. So this isn't life that hadn't yet existed, but this life is the life of the eternal Son of God as He steps into the world of humanity. It wasn't that God is in heaven, He is deity, and He says, okay, I'm going to set aside my godness and transform or convert into human Know the eternal God in heaven, just as He is, adds to His nature, humanity. And the Spirit of God conceived Him in the, whole, in the womb of the Virgin Mary. He is the Holy One. He is separate. He is apart. He is like no other. And He will be called the Son of of God. It's because He is God. He is of the same essence. He is of the same substance as God. The Jehovah's Witnesses aren't doing much door knocking these days since COVID, but they do like cold calls, like salespeople. Um, and apparently, uh, when they were doing their calls the other day, they didn't realize they were calling the office of a Baptist church. That was so much fun. So we talked for a little while, and not, I, I don't usually let them go on for long without just being pretty upfront about where I stand. I, you know, I don't want to waste either of our time if they're not willing to talk. And, um, you know, so she reads some scripture and says, Can I send you a, a, a pamphlet about how God's going to establish his kingdom on earth and, and things are going to be great one day? And I just said, Well, no, not really. Um, I'm pretty sure you're from the Watchtower Society. And she said, yes, I am. You know, I've heard this spill before. 
And, uh, you know, I'm pretty settled on, on where I stand uh, in my eschatology and about the nature of Jesus. Well, what do you mean? I said, well, Jesus is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh. Yes, He's going to establish His kingdom. He's going to judge the nations, judge sin, and the righteous will rule with Him. But the only way to be righteous and participate in that kingdom is to repent and put your trust in Him alone. Oh, she said. <laughs> and it's amazing how quick such a nice lady can get so frustrated, call you a name, and hang up. It's incredible. But before she hung up, she wanted to make sure that I knew, she wanted to correct me. The one thing she, ha she felt she had to correct me on was that Jesus is not God. Jesus never claimed to be God, she said. I reminded her that Jesus said, I and the Father are one, but she didn't like that either. The one thing that really matters is whether Jesus really is who He said He was. Is He really God in the flesh? That view has been around for forever. Arius, back in the 4th century, was telling the same heresy in the church then. You want a good Christmas story to tell? The, the story goes, and, I, and we don't know if it's true, they didn't record these sessions in the 4th century, um, but the story goes that in the midst of the debate that St. Nicholas actually got really frustrated at Arius and punched him in the face. So tell that to your kids at Christmas this year. Uh, good old St. Nick. Um, but this has been around forever. Is Jesus, or is He not, God? The Nicene Creed, which came out of that meeting in the 4th century, says, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. That is who Jesus is. That is the God who stepped into humanity through Mary in Nazareth. Now God knows women, he knew she'd need somebody to talk to, so he tells her in verse 36, Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has conceived... A son in her old age, and is, this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. And then this line, verse 37, For with God, nothing will be impossible. In Elizabeth's case, she's an old woman. There is no way she should be able to have a baby. But with God, it's possible. Mary, you're, you're, you're a virgin. You're not married. You've never been with a man. It is impossible for you to conceive and bear a son at all, much less Him be the Messiah, the Son of God. But with God, nothing will be impossible. And people deny the virgin birth and say, well, it just can't be. It couldn't have happened that way. We just have to accept that Luke made that up, that Matthew made that up, that that's not what Isaiah meant when he prophesied it. He wasn't born of a virgin. And the argument is, if you can't understand it, it can't be, right? Tell me this, how does a natural birth happen? Well, yeah, you know the cause and effect, but why? Why does it happen? There are gynecologists who can't tell you that. 
We know that this happens and then this comes as a result, but how? Why? And if you can't explain natural birth, why should you think that God couldn't do a supernatural birth? All birth is supernatural. All life is from God. If He wants to have the Holy Spirit overshadow Mary in Nazareth and conceive a son, why can't He? Why is it that you can believe He put the world here, but He can't create a baby in a mother's womb? He's either God or He's not. You either take Him at His word or you don't. But if Jesus was born of a man, if He carried that sin nature that all of us carry, He is not your Savior. You are still in your sins and you have no hope. So was He or was He not born of a virgin? Is He or is He not God in the flesh? You have to answer that for yourself. Verse 37 is why these things are true. With God, nothing will be impossible. If they cannot be true, then there is no God. Third heading, Mary's response to the news. How would you respond? Just think about that. Would you even be conscious to respond? That's a lot to take in. And you think about what's going to happen to Mary because of this. This is going to jeopardize her relationship with Joseph. I mean, how am I going to convince him that this baby, who he knows is not his, is from God? Joseph, an angel came. He said this was going to happen, and it happened. I promise that's it. It's not just going to jeopardize her relationship with Joseph. Everyone else, for that matter, everybody she knows. Her parents, siblings, her neighbors. To society, it's going to look like she's been immoral, unfaithful. That she has sinned. We know from our study of John's Gospel that it's going to give opportunity later for people to insult Jesus. We know who our Father is. We don't know who yours is. She could very well die because of this. She's betrothed to a man. That's a legal arrangement. You had to get divorce papers just to break off your engagement. If he says, this baby's not mine, she's pregnant, she could be stoned. How do you respond? No, you've got the wrong girl. You stopped at the wrong house. Maybe somebody else could do this for you. That would be reasonable. But Mary said in verse 38, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Consider me God's slave. Do what you want with me. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let me just say this. Humbly submitting to God is a right response. Is the right response. 
Signing that blank check of your life and giving it to God and saying, here, you fill it out. I'll do whatever you want. Do with me whatever you want. I'm yours. That is always the right response. But contrary to what some may tell you, humbly submitting to God won't make your life easier. In fact, it's likely to make it harder. And Mary's about to feel that. Mary considered her life as less significant than the purposes of God. Do you? I have to ask myself that question. What is my life worth? It's worth giving to God. Through her, God entered the world as a man and brings salvation to all who believe. It's through her that God would dispense His ultimate favor, His grace through Jesus who died for us. With the grace that we've been given, with the favor that He has shown us, with the promise that He is with us, how could we not give ourselves to Him? How could we not, being full of gratitude, say, Behold, the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. If you have not yet believed, you must submit yourself to him the first time. He did die for you. Christmas isn't all about the birth of Christ. It's about the birth of Christ that leads to the death of Christ and the resurrection. That this baby that was born is not just some decoration in a nativity scene, in a, you know, an inflatable version in somebody's front yard. It's so much more than that. He's the very Son of God who lived sinlessly and died to save sinners like us. God loves you. And He proved it by giving His Son to the world through a nobody from nowhere. Submit yourself to Him. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the glory of the narrative of Christ's birth, this Advent season. Lord, through it all, may we keep our eyes fixed on You. May we worship You for the God You are, that You are great, that Christ is the Son of the Most High, that He will sit on the throne of His father David. He will reign forever. His name is Jesus, the one who saves. We trust you. And may we be full of gratitude as your children for the grace you have given us. And may we submit to you 
as obedient and willing servants. In Jesus' name, amen.